Truth Espresso, episode 37. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. No doubt by the time you are listening to this episode of Truth Espresso, you have heard about the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, the COVID-19, which is a variant of SARS that we have experienced years ago. And so named coronavirus because of the shape, the corona or the crown, kind of like um, the sun in a way. It's a sphere shape with little club-shaped protein spikes. And the issue with the coronavirus as a pandemic is that it originated in China and has since been spreading to countries all over the world. Are you ready for the coronavirus? Are you reacting appropriately? And are you overreacting? Hi, this is Daniel Minnick, and welcome to Truth Espresso. I hope you had a good day. As you are listening to this, I hope that you are appropriately preparing yourself, taking proper measures to deal with the coronavirus while still maintaining your sanity and your trust in God. Uh, if you are a Christian, I hope that you realize where to put your trust in all this and realize that this isn't or should not be considered influenza Armageddon, that we will recover from this, that not everything is going to be bad, but as long as we do our due diligence, we will get through this coronavirus scare and the economy will recover and we will continue to prosper. As Thomas Paine said before the American Revolution, these are the times that try men's souls. And likewise, with this coronavirus scare, it tries your soul. It shouldn't scare you into a frenzy. You should just treat it as you would any other problem. Take appropriate measures of sanitation. Keep your social distance, as has now been termed in the media now. Social distancing is now a coined term, and it's kind of funny to think about it. The introverts among us, and I include myself in that category, could probably make some memes out of this. You know, introverts unite separately in our own homes because of the coronavirus. <laughs> yes, you know, don't be tempted to think this coronavirus is a plot by introverts to turn all the extroverts into de facto introverts and get everyone into their homes so that introverts can get a break from the, all the socializing and such. That's, of course, not what's going on. I'm not suggesting, but we should be able to be a little lighthearted even in difficult times. 
And now I have entitled this episode, Embracing Coronanomics. The focus of this episode is not necessarily going to be about the medical discoveries and truths and factors surrounding this strand of coronavirus. It is mostly going to be oriented toward the economics as a result of this coronavirus pandemic. And I have entitled it Embracing Coronanomics so that we know how we should handle this, what should be considered true regarding the economy, and what should not be considered true. How we can prevent ourselves from getting caught up in some of the hype and the falsehoods, especially when it gets into the politics of economics regarding the coronavirus, how different politicians and governments might be reacting, and what is prudent and what is not so prudent, what can benefit people and what can actually cause problems. Now, let's look at the current civilian reactions. Unless you've been living under a rock, we have all been witnessing schools closing, professional sporting events being canceled, church worship gatherings being postponed, international travel, different flights being canceled, all these different things that have become so common in the industrialized world, the livelihoods of many people in first and second world countries being suspended. And so how do we handle things like that? We see busy parking lots and crowds at stores, even late at night where you used to be able to waltz into your local grocery store after rush hour people do their shopping and you just go pick up a few items. But I have experienced myself trying to find a parking place at 8.30 at night on a weekday and having to go through the crowds at the stores and then seeing shelves that are empty, some shelves empty, some that are over half empty of important supplies like toilet paper and Clorox wipes and toilet paper and hand sanitizer and toilet paper and canned uh, pantry food and toilet paper and laundry pods and Did I mention toilet paper? (laughs) Um, Yeah. In all seriousness, I went to Costco after work a few days ago to do some regular shopping. (laughs) And I noticed some shelves that were empty and other shelves that were half or more than empty. Well, you know, one of the things that I wanted to pick up that was on my list, not because I was wanting to hoard it or anything like that, but one of the things on my list that I wanted to get were some Clorox wipes, you know, just kind of my regular schedule of getting them. And as I went to the spot at Costco, I noticed that the Clorox wipes were gone, Uh, a little gap, a little space on the shelf Conveniently, where you'd find the Clorox wipes, that section was gone. 
And knowing about all the toilet paper hoarding, which leaves a lot of us scratching our heads and wondering why people are hoarding toilet paper of all things. You know, I haven't read anywhere where the coronavirus has a you know, well-known common effect on people whom it's infected that would give them diarrhea such that they would need a lot more toilet paper. Perhaps some people are trying to stock up thinking that they're going to be stuck at home for several weeks and you got to make sure you have enough toilet paper. Or some people are trying to make a buck, I'm guessing. Some people want to buy toilet paper low when they get it and sell it high for people who might actually need some of those rolls of gold but i when i was at costco i didn't even try i mean i wasn't looking for toilet paper at the time but i just thought i would spare myself a little freaked outness as it were and i didn't even try to go over to that section and look even out of curiosity to check to see if there were actually toilet paper packages there or if they were all out But another thing on my list that I wanted to get, um, you know, my wife and I have discovered this really great recipe for uh, peanut butter chocolate chip cookies, and neither of us can get enough of those. Um, You know, we, we actually eat those sometimes for meals, the peanut butter for protein, I think such a uh, a delectable dessert like that also seems to double as a nice meal replacement so i was there to restash some of my peanut butter stock and so i went to the aisle where the peanut butter would be and i noticed that the creamy peanut butter was all gone so i wanted to get some peanut butter and i saw some jars of peanut butter you know about less than half the usual supply of crunchy peanut butter was available, but the creamy peanut butter was all gone. So apparently the way to combat the coronavirus is to stock up on creamy peanut butter. Now, I'm sure the people who got the creamy peanut butter were looking in general for non-perishable goods, pantry items of all different sorts. And so, naturally, people prefer creamy peanut butter over crunchy peanut butter when they want to stock up on something like that. And I'm sure some people probably even bought the peanut butter when they don't really eat much of it themselves. But when you got to stock up on things, you get things that seem to be intuitive even when you don't use a lot of them. But nevertheless, in response to this coronavirus scare, I decided to get a few jars of crunchy peanut butter and make do with that. Hey, you gotta be resourceful under times like these. And so we've all witnessed the current civilian reactions. So let me move on to the current government reactions. So on Tuesday, March 3rd, the Federal Reserve announced cutting interest rates by two basis points, or what would be half of a percent. And this is from an article from CNN.com entitled Federal Reserve Rate Cut. And of course, you know, 
There are plenty of articles all over the internet, current news, talking about that the Federal Reserve on March 3rd, Tuesday, cut interest rates as a means to combat the coronavirus. This means that the current federal funds rate stands at 1 to 1.25%. Now, that's pretty low. But, you know, it's not as low as it was from 2008 to 2015, when the rate was essentially at 0 to 0.25%, which, in my not-so-humble opinion, was completely way too low, forced way too low, and is only the seeds for future realization of inflation. And so I myself, along with many who would hold to the Austrian School of Economics, are critics of the Federal Reserve when they set interest rates, especially they always seem to tend to keep rates too low for too long. They're lower than the market would set them and lower than would reflect the supply of actual capital and savings available to be lent out at a natural interest rate. Federal Chairman Jerome Powell said about the rate cut, According to the CNN article, quote, it will help boost household and business confidence, unquote. Now, what do lower interest rates mean? Lower interest rates actually encourage more borrowing, which I think is what the Fed had in mind. The idea that the coronavirus starts halting and slowing some economic activity, and the idea is to get more people to spend more money to spur more economic activity. And so the lowering of interest rates is to try to make borrowing more attractive because it's cheaper to borrow. And so lower rates encourage more borrowing, which means more debt. Now, with a national debt of about, what, $23 trillion and climbing right now, and lots of households in debt right now, and lots of young people struggling with student loan debts as the national total seems to stand at about $1.6 trillion in outstanding unpaid student loan debts. It would seem like the last thing we would all need is to do more borrowing and encourage more debt. And what does this borrowing do when the Fed creates more money, when people borrow and take out loans from commercial banks that ultimately get their money, their capital from the Federal Reserve at the Fed funds rate, that contributes to more inflation or a faster increase in the supply of money. And I I really oppose that kind of thing. I oppose that kind of control over the economy by a central banking system. I'm sure I'm going to get into that in later episodes as we're going to start a series talking about economics and what is money, what is banking. I hope you are willing to sit through that and listen to that because I hope that I can make the concepts of basic economics 
economics that really go against the mainstream way of thinking and introduce concepts of economics from the much maligned Austrian school of economics as promoted by the Ludwig von Mises Institute. I hope to make that a little bit interesting. But let's go back to the Fed reducing interest rates by a half percent, encouraging more borrowing. Let's ask the question, how will cheaper borrowing boost confidence, as it were? How does making money cheaper to pay outstanding debts make more confidence in business? And especially, how does it encourage foreign countries to have more confidence in a cheaper dollar. Well, when you're the Federal Reserve, when all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. So think of lowering interest rates in a situation like this. It's like stretching a rubber band back really thin and tight and thinking that when you let go of it, it will just slowly and smoothly taper down to its original position. No, the more you stretch a rubber band trying to chase after encouraging and stimulating more economic activity when all the indicators say that economic activity needs to slow down at least for the time being until things correct is like stretching a rubber band. When you let it go, it snaps quickly the other direction. It doesn't simply slow down and taper down to its original position. And I think the Federal Reserve, and I think people who support the Federal Reserve, who support this kind of central bank, especially those who follow the Keynesian school of thinking of economics, misunderstand how things work. Now, I'm not a professional economist. I'm just a layperson who follows some professional economists of the Austrian school. So, I disagree with the Keynesian way of thinking and liken the current activities of keeping interest rates too low for too long, like stretching a rubber band. Eventually, it's either going to snap or it's going to be let go, and then we'll see more inflation happen reflected in higher prices faster than we would anticipate given the constant and rapid growth of the money supply. But going back to the coronavirus situation, is the problem with the economy as a result of this coronavirus pandemic really a lack of capital that needs to be injected into the economy? Now think of what's actually going on. Stores are making out like bandits. They are selling out of supplies. Think of the way a store would like things to run, would like things to be in equilibrium. When you, as a store owner, allocate products on your shelves, you would like to sell everything that's on the shelves. 
as much as possible, you would like not to buy inventory that you don't sell because that are lost sales. Those are costs that you've eaten up and you can only make that up by the profit margin of taking what you sell and subtracting the cost of what you've paid overall in your full inventory and your profit is a result of your profit margins. So even if you have some unliquidated inventory, as long as you make enough profit from what you do sell by your profit margins over the cost of what you use to stock on your shelves, you're good. But every store would love to be able to have that profit margin on every product that's stocked on shelves. And so during this coronavirus pandemic, unless the store relies on certain supplies, and the costs of shipping them over if those have been halted and supplies for future sales are being halted, stores are making out like bandits. So that's economic activity that has been spurred by the coronavirus scare. This means that people are buying lots of supplies from the stores. Think of all the people rushing into stores early in the morning and hoarding toilet paper and we all haven't completely figured out but maybe if if you as a listener have been doing that maybe even you don't know why you're doing that but because of the bandwagon principle and other people doing it you figure you need to do it to make sure you have access to that precious toilet paper before someone else gets it but whatever the reason people are buying it off the shelves and so stores are making money and people are spending their money so that's some of the activity that has been spurred but other activity has been halted or slowed does this sound like the problem is a lack of money do the airlines need to borrow more money to fight the problem of people not buying plane tickets or not being able to fly in airplanes even though they bought tickets is it just that there's a lack of money? No, it sounds to me like there are people with money who would like to buy things that they can't buy, and there are stores with goods and they're not able to sell them until people can buy them. So the problem is not the need for more money or more so-called liquidity in the economy. The problem is that certain precautions with the coronavirus cause certain kinds of economic activity to slow down and halt. And so the solution is not to inject more money into the economy, that more money would sl be slushing around and not being able to be used on certain things because people apparently have some money to spend, but there are fewer avenues to spend so injecting more money into the economy would just result in more dollars chasing fewer available goods and services so this leads us now to the current misunderstandings of economics the coronavirus is indeed causing a recession, a certain type of recession, not in all areas of the economy, but in many common areas. 
Now, a recession shouldn't be considered a boogeyman. I know that the prevalent school of economic thought that has captured the universities and captured the minds of politicians and the central bank today runs off of this school of economics, the Keynesian school of economics, which religiously treats any kind of recession as a bad thing. It can only be a bad thing. A recession is treated like a boogeyman in mainstream thought, but this has not always been the case. With the correct understanding of economics, you can understand that a recession can also be known as a market correction. In fact, the term correction used to be a more common term for recession. Now, a recession sounds a little bit more negative than a correction. It just sounds like less economic activity which definitely sounds bad. Oh no, people are spending less money. We're all doomed. Well, if people spend less money on things that are less profitable, if people are spending money on things that really don't benefit themselves, if people are just spending money, maybe even going into debt or taking money away from things that would help them out or help other people out or save for a rainy day and spending money just on travel, that is money that doesn't grow the economy. It might distribute to uh, tourism, but a lot of that money is just wasted, as it were, on lavish experiences. And it pays some people's salaries, but it doesn't actually grow the stock of goods and services that grow the economy and make people's lives in general better and make the cost of things essential go down. So, a recession, or as I would prefer to call it, a correction, helps balance out some imbalances. It helps people to allocate more of their savings, if they have them, toward things that would be more important for survival or more important for actually growing an economy, starting a business with, thing, with actual solid goods and services that produce things that people actually need or could use productively. This reduced spending as a result of the recession or the correction encourages savings. People are able to rebuild their savings. Now think about the travel restrictions. Some people are not buying gasoline to fill their cars to go travel unnecessarily. So that's money that is not going toward gasoline. And now that money is available for things that are more important, like um, toilet paper. No, or, you know, some other things that are more important, like food or maybe even savings to build capital for a business. 
Savings ultimately increase capital for lending to people who need to take out loans and investment. Now, what is really better for loans? What is really better for loanable funds? Is it money created out of thin air with artificially low interest rates from a central bank that manages this phantom supply of money created out of thin air? Well, according to the Austrian School of Economics, that kind of thing is what leads to asset class bubbles that then eventually burst and cause unnecessary recessions. Now, the coronavirus is a necessary recession, but think of the housing bubble that happened in the last decade. That was spurred on by the Federal Reserve keeping interest rates at 1% for a long time, and that encouraged people to borrow for larger things like houses. It encouraged some businesses to take out loans for investments that may not have paid off with more careful planning as a result of uh, higher interest rates that should have been in place by the market. And I know that I'll get into more of that and the business cycle and coming up soon in later episodes in our series that we're going to start on economics. So I hope that I can make that entertaining because economics is not a very entertaining topic for quite a few people. They'd rather watch sports than listen to an economics lecture, but bear with me and I hope you'll be pleasantly surprised. So, the coronavirus is causing a recession. There is no doubt that the precautions surrounding the coronavirus are causing and will cause a general slowdown in economic activity. There is simply no way to paper over the problem. No injection of cash into the economy is going to stimulate the economy when certain common purchases are less available. All inflating the money supply will do is cause more money chasing fewer available goods and services, meaning that things will eventually become more expensive as this money washes in. And to whom do these things become more expensive? Perhaps to people on fixed incomes. Perhaps to people who normally vote for politicians who advocate these kinds of policies. So what I propose we really need is for the government to get out of the way and let the market work. What do I mean by the market? You know, the people, customers, stores. Let them absorb the corrections that are the result of things like the coronavirus. Let's ask these important questions. Who knows more about the supply and demand of Clorox wipes? The government, who has to take a census every 10 years to understand demographics, or people who are more familiar with their own individual needs, the needs of their families, those people who actually need the Clorox wipes. 
Who knows more about how to ration the supply of toilet paper to stock on the shelves? The government, with insufficient data to calculate or understand the unique needs of individuals and regional differences that are really a reality. Or how about Costco managers who are familiar with their own balance sheets, their own projected income, their own daily charts of shopping activity with the spikes and the lows, and the supply chain availability and the costs of the supply chain. And as long as people are not violent or rude, I say let them hoard the toilet paper. Let them take the sacrifice and enter early in the morning and buy. And let them sell at higher prices. This is another market way of supply and demand. Now, we may not like it. We may think these people are evil. But think about even how the stock market works. And you'll see the parallel to people searching for opportunities and buying low in an effort to sell high. And as long as there is demand, there will be supply if we let the market work. Now you might protest and say, ooh, that's price gouging. That's pure evil. Price gouging should be illegal. Well, let's ask, how do we deal with that? What happens if the government sets price controls? That ultimately causes a supply shock. Because the supply is suppressed to meet the demand. Now, when you have an increase in demand, but you don't have an increase in supply, then the price naturally rises, and that encourages the increase of supply to meet the demand. The production of that good increases to meet the demand which would naturally eventually result in the price decreasing once supply approaches demand. But when you have the government intervene in that process and suppress prices, that causes a disincentive to increase the supply to meet the increase in demand, and you end up having some people, especially first-come, first-serve, get the supply at the lower price when the demand is increased, and you have other people who need some of that supply, and maybe they could sacrifice and pay higher prices to get what they need, but the price controls restrict those people from being able to get what they need. So government intervening in the supply and demand by setting price controls hurts people. It causes supply shocks. So what happens then is the government resorts to rationing. So what happens when the government rations and restricts supplies? Well, some people who need it have to go without. They might be willing to pay a high price anyway, and that's akin to forbidding a cure for a disease because, well, it's too expensive and that's price gouging the poor patient. Well, what's better? 
having the cure and paying more for it as supply and demand would naturally dictate, or thinking you know better than the patient, the customer does, and saying, no, you are not allowed to pay this price for this cure. It's too expensive. I have determined that it's too expensive for you, so it's better that you keep your money and not get the cure, then be willing to sacrifice and pay more and get the cure because that's what the market forces would dictate, according to supply and demand. The higher prices due to increased demand, as I said, are a natural market indicator that suppliers would want to ramp up supply in an effort to profit from the increased demand. Ooh, evil profiteering, right? Well, ramping up the supply and competition for these higher prices, these avail- uh, the ability to ramp up supply and try to make money from higher prices, you know, you'll make some money at the beginning, but what does that do? It also leads to more supply, which then leads back later to lower prices as demand tapers off. So I say, let the market work. Let supply and demand work naturally the way it would work on the market, which is us. It's people, its customers and producers and stores and shoppers. Let it work. It would be better for everyone if the government would get their grubby mitts out of it. <laughs> no kind of intervention in natural market forces can ease the pain in general. There will be some people who will benefit from government intervention But many more people suffer. On the whole and in general, intervention makes more people suffer than would suffer if you let the market work. So-called price gouging needs to stop being a crime and represent the market forces of supply and demand searching for equilibrium. So now that I have preached a little bit on the free market, let's get back to the reality that we face with the coronavirus pandemic, and let's look at the current silver lining. Yes, we need a ray of hope. We need to think about the good things that this pandemic will cause. Let's think of the opportunities as well as the sacrifices. So I have a list of 10 silver lining points that this coronavirus pandemic will impose on us. Number one, people are now learning to prioritize and conserve resources. As I mentioned earlier, there's less travel for frivolous reasons. Now, that that sounds kind of mean. I don't mean to be demeaning about people who are traveling for legitimate activity and business travel, but people can save some of the money that they would have spent on mere pleasure 
traveling and using up all that gas and airplanes and all that money they would have spent on fancy restaurants, and they will conserve resources. I mean, people might even figure out how to use less toilet paper and save it. And so that means more savings, more prudence, and more supply available at less cost, which would then free up more capital for things that are worthy of investments. And that also helps the character of people. They're learning to realize, we're all learning to realize how we can make do with less. And I know the Keynesian economists don't like that, but when we get into Say's Law in a future episode, you'll realize how the Keynesian understanding of economics and how recessions don't necessarily lead to some death spiral that puts the economy back in the Stone Age unless banks and governments intervene and inject more money into the economy, encourage more borrowing, because people learn to prioritize and conserve, and eventually things start to level off as their savings are rebuilt and then become more available for spending and investment later. So that's point number one. Second silver lining is that more people are now becoming more conscious of good sanitation practices. I don't know if you have seen that meme that has emerged on Facebook now, as some Christians have shown a screenshot of an open Bible with a highlighter, a a phrase highlighted in yellow in the Bible. And this phrase comes from James chapter 4 and verse 8. And that meme quotes the verse saying, Saying, wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> you know, it's kind of being humorous there, but of course it's true. How do you prevent the spread of a virus? You be sane. And I've noticed there are way too many people who do things like use the restroom and don't wash their hands or cough into their hands and don't wash it or they wipe their hands on their clothes or they just don't treat their hands like the germ infested virus spreading tool that it is and practice proper sanitation. Well, now some people who weren't practicing proper sanitation are learning how to do that. Hallelujah. We might become a healthier society as a result of these precautions. Number three, silver lining. There is now less impact on the environment because of less travel, fewer flights, fewer people driving on the roads for things that are not completely necessary means less gas being burned. So it means less pollution for the environment. Now, I am not a Green New Deal proponent by any stretch of the imagination. I am not what anyone would consider an environmentalist at all. 
But come on, you've got to admit that a reduction in this, especially as people are learning to prioritize and see what they really need and see what they really don't need to do, is less impactful on the environment. And so the politicians who are especially the left-leaning politicians who are all about stimulating the economy, trying to get people to do more, while also at the same time demanding that we take care of the environment, of course, by legislative fiat and government takeovers of the economy, they could realize that people can learn how to take care of the environment more simply by being more conservative on their own and not having to have the government take over the economy and force us to give up our rights for building pipe dreams and all these things that are not economically feasible like the Green New Deal proponents, would think in their misunderstandings of construction and logistics and, you know, thinking that all these people from Mexico can move in here and somehow work in construction and retrofit all these buildings to be greener. Like, you know, that requires knowledge and you can't get knowledge in 10 years and be able to retrofit all these buildings in 10 years like the Green New Deal proponents propose, but I digress. Let's move on to point number four, silver lining number four. There's more time to get much needed rest. Some people are taking an unexpected, unplanned vacation. Now, for a lot of people, their personal economy has been running on working like mad, running on energy drinks and caffeine, and their body is telling them you need to slow down. Now, this is one way to get people to take some rest, actually rebuild their health if they don't get sick from catching the coronavirus. Their bodies are now getting much-needed health. Their minds are getting a little bit less focused on crazy running around, and they can start to rethink and start to plan things. And then they'll be all the better for it. They'll be all the healthier for it. Their minds will be less frantic as they start back to work. Number six, silver lining. More money is now saved for rainy days, where people have thought that the economy was doing so much better that they can just empty out their savings or not even save much. And just like the housing bubble of yesteryear, last decade, where people thought that their money was in real estate, well, now people are learning to save more money for those rainy day times. And yes, the coronavirus would be one of those rainy days, But now people have the opportunity to stop spending so much money and to rebuild their savings because they really have to. (laughs) Silver lining point number seven. This recession, this market correction, this pandemic of coronavirus can actually encourage good opportunities for investments. So think about, as people are having to practice social distancing, there's more reliance now on what technology has made available and 
will make available. There are now more opportunities to invest in greater electronic communications. Just think of the opportunities that might arise to make a lot more business more productive and less costly on the economy by making travel less needed and improving electronic communications technologies and services. As an aside, just think, if we had the coronavirus 50 years ago, think of how much worse such a pandemic could be if we didn't have the information about it from the internet to know that it's coming, the ability to prepare, the ability of some people to telecommute for some jobs. And since I am a software developer, I am actually able to telecommute as a mandate from the company for a little bit. And since I'm able to do that, I get to save money on gas. Some people in the company get to save money on gas. But I'm still able to work a lot of things that make the world go round nowadays with technology are able to function. But think If the coronavirus happened 50 years ago, there would be a lot more damage to the economy because there would not be the kind of telecommuting electronic communications that were available then as there are now. There are more investment opportunities now in lower oil prices. Remember, that helps the customer now. If the oil is still available at the gas pump, you're able to fill your tank, even though you're doing less traveling, but you're able to pay less for gas. And that means you have more money for other things that you need, and you've already filled your tank. But it's not just your tank as a customer. There are investment opportunities to buy oil stocks. Now, I am not suggesting that you go out and do this. I am not in any way a professional financial advisor. I'm not a stockbroker. So take what I'm saying with a grain of salt and do not hold me liable. I am not licensed in any way to give investment advice. I am just a lay person giving my overview of how I understand the market. But I imagine that people will find investment opportunities to buy low. Now, remember, think about toilet paper where people are trying to buy low and sell high. But that opportunity now exists to buy low with stocks in oil companies. And then that capitalizes some oil companies to make investments. So people are buying oil stocks on the cheap now that they're low. And if they hold, instead of shorting them, trying to hope that they'll sell high tomorrow, they, they might still have some more lowing, lowering to do. But if you hold on to them and you buy the stocks low, you're providing capital for for oil companies to start producing more oil. Silver lining number eight, homeschooling is gaining more respect. Now, as a homeschooling family, my wife homeschools her four kids. Well, two of them are old enough for schooling. 
As a homeschooling family who doesn't have to go to public schools and be contributors to the cause of the problem anyway, I kind of like this point. You know, it's funny, I've been looking at articles and I've been seeing even a lot of secular sites that, you know, normally would turn a blind eye and criticize homeschooling are now writing lots of articles talking about how to homeschool your kids, giving tips for parents who are now jaded at the idea some of them are stuck at home, they can't go to work, they can't telecommute to work, and now their kids have to be home with them, and they think, what do I do? Well, now there's a lot of kind of forced learning from some parents actually to have to interact with their kids throughout the day. That increases more family bonding. That increases the ability of some parents to learn actually how to teach their kids things, how to school their kids, and not have to rely entirely on public schools to teach their kids and then, you know, and let the schools parent their kids. So this is one thing that I'm actually kind of excited about. Silver lining number nine more home-based and internet businesses will start up. What? You can't buy toilet paper? You have more time now? Start a business. Hey, what else are you going to spend your money on? No, not Once again, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a professional person licensed to give investment advice, but I'm just suggesting that as a whole... This pandemic will encourage more people now with more savings, especially using the internet and being stuck at home, to think of how to start businesses out of their home and using tools on the internet, when normally they would just have to go face the grind every day in the rat race. And now finally, silver lining point number 10 More Christians will take time to reflect, to contemplate, and to meditate on faith and trust in God Almighty. Now that you have more time, Christian, why not read the Bible? Why not meditate? Clear your minds from all the franticness of this pandemic and learn to trust God and not think that the world is collapsing, that the sky is falling, and meditate on some verses. Let's think of Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 through 7. Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the Apostle Paul who was in prison. The Apostle Paul was enduring things much harder than a coronavirus. And for him to tell his readers not to be anxious about things, but to pray to God with thanksgiving? Let your requests be made known to God. And he told them about the peace of God, which passes all understanding. This peace in God will keep or guard your hearts and minds 
through Christ Jesus. And another passage, Christian, that I would like to suggest to you to maintain your peace and your cool and your understanding in this time where the world is panicking. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6, you're probably familiar with this passage. Trust in the Lord, Yahweh, with all, your, with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So how are you doing, Christian, with the coronavirus? Are you panicking like the world? Or are you going to use this as an opportunity to praise and glorify God? When people see how you act, when they are scared and you have faith and trust in God, and you act calmly and rationally, and in all your ways, even when dealing with the coronavirus, how you handle the coronavirus, Christian, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So Christian, let's embrace coronanomics. Let's embrace the economy of the coronavirus pandemic, and let's be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Let's be Christians in all of this. Let's trust God. Let's leave the economy to God. And not to trust in wizards in Washington and in government. Let's embrace coronanomics with full faith and trust in the God who's sovereign over viruses and economies. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 